Hello, and welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lovell with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 25 of our podcast. Brain injuries are far more common than we'd like to admit, especially for cyclists. It is hard to believe just how vulnerable we all are. Perhaps you've taken precautions, and I hope you have, but sometimes the brain injury comes for you. Did you see the HBO documentary Crash Reel about Kevin Pierce, who was a top snowboard athlete in the lead-up to the Vancouver Winter Olympics before his brain injury? If not, you must make a point to see it. What I just learned was that Kevin and his brother Adam Pierce started the nonprofit Love Your Brain to improve the quality of life of people affected by traumatic brain injury and to raise awareness about the importance of brain health. In my discussion today, I am joined by Adam Pierce and two amazing cyclists, David Adler and Brett Tivers, who live with head injuries sustained on the bike and who have found life-changing help in Love Your Brain through resilience-building skills and joining a community of people who know all too well about brain injury. I hope you will listen in to hear their stories and about the resources provided by Love Your Brain for us all. Who would not be improved by being more resilient? Resilience won't make your problems go away, but resilience will help you to see past your problems, find enjoyment in life, and better handle the stresses of life. And be sure to check out how to support Love Your Brain's virtual ride for resilience, which we discuss at the end of the episode. All right, welcome everybody. Our talk today will be about the nonprofit Love Your Brain, an organization that works to improve the quality of life of people affected by traumatic brain injury and to raise awareness about the importance of brain health. I wish everyone, and especially cyclists, knew about Love Your Brain and its fantastic support of the traumatic brain injured, but they don't, at least not yet. While I had heard of Love Your Brain through a friend of mine who was hit by a car while riding his bike in the mountains of Colorado, I didn't really understand how important it was until now. For this discussion, I am joined by three people who have had deep personal connection to brain injury as well as to Love Your Brain. We're going to hear about their journeys and the story of Love Your Brain. We'll also find out about how any of us can benefit from the resources provided by Love Your Brain, should we need it. And we'll also find out about how we can help, help the Love Your Brain team continue to do their good works. My guests today are Adam Pierce, who is the co-founder and executive director of Love Your Brain. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, Joe. David Adler, who is a business leader and an avid cyclist and skier, and who in 2013 was hit by a car while riding his bike, leaving him with more than 20 broken bones, two collapsed lungs, and a brain injury. Ouch, and welcome, David. Thank you for having me. And Brett Tivers, who currently, I believe, is a high school sports coordinator and teacher in New Zealand, but was a professional cyclist, winner of the 2011 Tour of Battenkill, in 2012, while racing in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Brett crashed at 38 miles an hour and was knocked unconscious, resulting in a brain injury, which ended his professional cycling career. Ouch, and welcome to you too, Brett. Thanks, Joe, for having us. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing our stories. Yes, so am I. Before we get too far into our discussion, I, I wanted to share with the listeners some concerning bits of information that I had read about brain injury. And you guys let me know if I got any of this stuff wrong, or maybe there's even more interesting stuff to share. More traumatic brain injuries occur in cycling than in football. From all causes, over 3 million traumatic brain injuries occur in the U.S. and Canada every year. Approximately 70,000 people every year experience long-term disability from traumatic brain injury. And a concussion, which is the least damaging of the forms of traumatic brain injury, after one year of injury, 10 to 15% of the mild traumatic brain injury patients have not recovered. Do those things sound right to you guys? They do. I wasn't aware of the, the amount of cyclists that have been injured compared to other population. That's a scary one. Okay, let's get into this thing then. Obviously, this is an important topic for everyone and cyclists in particular. Adam, let's start with you. I recently rewatched the 2013 HBO documentary Crash Reel that you co-produced about your brother Kevin, who was a top snowboard athlete in the lead up to the 2010 Vancouver Winter Olympics before his brain injury. It is an amazing film that I recommend everyone watch. For the people who haven't seen it yet, can you tell us a little bit about Kevin's story and then we'll get into how Kevin's injury led you and Kevin to form Love Your Brain. Yeah, thanks, Joe. 
So Kevin had just come off a year where he basically won every contest around the world that he entered. Uh, going into the Olympics, he had just come off a number of contests where he beat Sean White, who is or was the favorite to win the Olympics. So was kind of poised to you know have this rivalry going into the Olympics and was kind of the person to beat Sean. And he had this just kind of fluke fall where you know if it had gone an inch the other way, he probably would have been totally fine. Uh, but the result was a traumatic brain injury. And that led to a month and a half in critical care, three and a half months in acute care in, in Craig Hospital in Denver, Colorado, and then the remainder of that year uh, back home in, in hospitals and, and outpatient. And he, we were fortunate because he continued to make progress and he continued to have the determination and fight to keep moving forward. And that continued to, yeah, just show incredible progress. And after about two years of that, we decided that, yeah, sharing this this story would encourage people to see what's possible and that there is potential after such a devastating accident. And so that was the motivation to do the film. What was your original thinking behind the decision to form Love Your Brain with Kevin well, it took us quite a while to understand specifically what we were going to do, but there were a couple of things that were became very clear. One was the complexity of TBI uh, in terms of how it affects the emotional, social, physical aspects of a human being, and realizing the prevalence in that this is one of the leading causes of death and disability in the world. And we realized that we had to understand what were the things that were really elevating Kevin and how can we turn that into something that can support other people. And when we realized that yoga and mindfulness can support the whole person, it's very physical and it's also very mental, that that was a, an incredible way to help people kind of reestablish that connection, which so often gets disconnected. So we, we really started to think about how can we use that? And the beautiful thing about yoga and meditation is that it often involves a number of people together. So when we identified the, the impact of family and support and the use of a holistic tool like yoga, it became pretty clear that both of those in combination can really support a person fully. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I could see it near the end of the documentary, Kevin speaking to people. And giving them hope, I think, is what he was doing. And and for people without hope, that would be everything. But still, people wanted more, I think, which led you and your team to evolve into doing more things, retreats and yoga videos and that sort of thing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Well, there were two things that we identified throughout the process that were incredibly important for people to know about. One was the importance of community. And when I say community, I mean people who, who understand what traumatic brain injury is, how it works, and how to be there with people who are going through it. And then the importance of resilience. And as I said, this isn't something that happens overnight. It's a, it's a long road. So helping people understand that we as humans are, are resilient, but a lot of times we have to tap into the areas that make us the most resilient. And at the time, Kevin was really starting getting into yoga and meditation. He would come out of a yoga class and just be a different person. And I actually, after a year of working by Kevin's side, I, I left and did some traveling and spent some time in India where I did a, my first 10-day silent meditation retreat. And I, I left that experience truly transformed as a, as a person. I had just some really, really important realizations of how as someone who was a caregiver, a brother, a best friend, how my relationship to those different experiences needed to evolve and change in. I, I started to understand that a lot of the work personally started needing to come from within rather than me expecting these other outside things to change. And I continued to focus on thinking that the problems in my relationship with Kevin were a result of his injury. But I through this process of turning boldly inward and investigating myself, I realized that a lot of the challenge was actually due to my unwillingness to see the reality of what was and accept that. And until I was willing to do that, I realized I was still going to continue to run into these, these challenges. 
That's great. In the movie Crash Reel, we watched Kevin get a ton of medical support. It, it looked like he had really great medical support. He also had a very devastating injury that really was probably multiple injuries coming from one accident. But we could also see that the doctors couldn't give him everything he needed. And you've touched on this already a little bit, but obviously there are gaps in what is available in our medical system, gaps between what's available and what a person like Kevin or or even somebody who wasn't injured as badly but still has these lingering symptoms needs, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, Kevin got incredible care, has seen some of the top doctors across the country. And still, you know, we received a message that every brain injury is different and we still don't know a lot about brain injury. So it, it's, it's a really complex issue and one that there's, yeah, there's still a lot of unknown. So as you can imagine, when you don't get the answers you want or you're looking for, it can be, it can be pretty challenging. Yeah. Okay. I also wanted to comment on and ask you about in Crash Reel, the most amazing part of the amazing story was your family and how supportive they were to Kevin, even in ways that he didn't want. But it just seemed as though your family helped Kevin to live through this and helped him get on the journey that you and he are still on and now are using to help other people. Would you say I got that right? Absolutely. I think family and support is is just critical. And it saddens us every day when people come to us and share that they don't have that level of support. So that was one of the main reasons and, and foundations of, of our work is trying to create that sense of support for people who don't have it or you know, or looking to just kind of tap into to what that looks like. And obviously, anybody who goes through this, what they really want, first, they want that it never happened. But second, almost as good would be that they fully recovered. But that doesn't always happen. How has Kevin's journey continued since the time that the filming ended? Yeah, Joe, I appreciate the question. And, and why I do is because we tend to focus on this wor- word recovery. And what we've actually tried to do is, is shift the narrative and use the word resilience. Because recovery infers that you're returning to what was. And in most situations... In traumatic brain injury, you don't return to the exact same person you were. And if you're focused with that expectation of always trying to be that person you once were, there can be a lot of problem with that. So what we're really all about is, is recognizing that it's important to set goals and, and really try to you know work as hard as you can to be maybe the person you wanted to be, but also recognizing that there are a lot of areas that you can grow and evolve and be a better version of who you were. And that's where resilience takes place. So I don't really look at Kevin in terms of, is he the same person he was? Because I, I would say no. But are there, are there elements of Kevin that are better? Absolutely. You know, are there challenges that he still deals with? Yeah, there are. But I think I don't like to try to create this mirror image of getting Kevin back to the old Kevin, because I just don't think that's realistic. Right. You know, and as I was going through your website and thinking about the things that you're offering to people, it it occurred to me that the work that you encourage people to do to develop this resilience that you've been describing, these are things that are really not just for people with traumatic brain injuries. These are things that are good for everybody. We all could be better people, benefit from these practices. Do you think so? 100%. All right. Before we're done here, Adam, we'll come back and talk about your virtual ride for resilience. I want to talk about that enough so that people know how they can help. But before we get into that level of detail, I wanted to talk to David and Brett a little bit. Can I just say a couple words about these guys? Please do. You know, when you talk about community and people that stand out in this community and the word resilience, I think these two guys are standouts in terms of what that means. And I think These guys have been two people that have showed how vulnerability can not only elevate them, but elevate people around them. 
Um, and I've been incredibly impressed with their ability to touch into the real challenge of TBI, but also see where the possibility lies ahead of that. And I'm always inspired and, and just deeply appreciate being in their presence and hearing the truth of what they're dealing with, but also the, the mindset of seeing, hey, there's, there's more out there to continue to find new, to new roads and new potential. So just wanted to share that. Well, nice words. You guys have anything to add to that? Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it too, mate. Well, very nice. Then, David, let's get into your story a little bit here. Your story, I, I guess, is maybe scarier to me than many of the stories because your story, the beginning of your story, sounds like every cyclist I know, a business guy who loves cycling, but you had to experience what we all have long feared. You're zooming down the road at 23 miles an hour and a car turns in front of you and there's nothing you can do. You just crash into that car. Would you tell us your story? Sure. Okay. So Joe, I was uh, just like you and probably a lot of your friends. I was out for a normal training ride. It was early 2013. And I had decided that 2013 was going to be my my banner racing year. I was going to get more serious about it. I had a trainer and a coach and it was going to be a great year. So I was uh, heading back on a Thursday morning around 730 in the morning. I'd finished the, the hard hills and just cruising back on the street. And that was it. I don't remember anything what happened. I woke up in the ICU about five days later. And what I was told was it's an interesting story is a good friend of mine who I would cycle with was on his way to work. And he had just uh, noticed that there was an accident. And for some reason, he got out of his car and he went over to the accident and looked and thought it was me, but wasn't sure because I was kind of mangled. And he asked uh, the, the officer, he said, I think I know that person. And they said, what's his name? David Adler. And he, Officer had my ID and said, yeah. And he said, Could, do you know his phone number or anything? And so my friend Matt called my wife, who was walking my daughter to work, walking my daughter to school, and said, uh, David got a little banged up, banged up in, a, in a bike accident. They're taking him to Harbor UCLA Hospital, and um, you're going to need to go over there. He was very calm. And my wife uh, looked at my daughter and her friend and said, you two can walk to school alone now. They had never walked to school alone. And they walked off to school. And my wife ran home, called my brother who lives in the neighborhood. And they went to Harbor UCLA. And from what they said is they, they showed up at the hospital. Harbor UCLA is a crazy trauma one center hospital in LA, like just packed. And they go there and it was crowded. And the doctors brought them into this small little like prayer room. So they were like freaked out that there was going to be yeah. horrible news, but they, you know, this is after waiting for a while. Uh, the doctors told them that uh, I had a serious accident. I had a lot of broken bones, a couple of punctures to my lung and a brain bleed. And they needed to monitor me to, uh, before they, they had more information. So my wife and my brother, I can't imagine what they went through, but they just had to wait to figure out what was, what was going on. And luckily the swelling in the brain went down. My lungs were able to heal, and and the you know eventually the bones all healed. I was in ICU for about a week. Don't remember any of it. Then I was transferred to a rehab hospital where the the serious rehab began. That was the time that I realized like wow something bad did happen. I was told that I may never ride a bike again because of all the broken bones, and that was and or ski, which is my my bigger passion, and that was that was very concerning. So. I had this goal that I was going to ride the bike again as soon as I could and you know do everything that I did before and be better than ever. During this this time that I was I was healing, I knew that I had a brain injury because my speech was very challenging, my vision was horrible. People would come to the hospital and bring movies and things like that. I couldn't watch TV or anything. So my I knew there were the things that were wrong and when I started the therapy that was a focus was my speech, my vision, as well as all the physical therapy to, to walk and get the use of my hands and everything back. 
I was able to, pro to progress physically relatively well, relative, rapidly. And partly a big piece of that was is my wife telling the physical therapist to, to push me that this guy, he's a little type A, he's, a, he's competitive. And, you know, when you're doing these games with him, make him a bit more challenging. And that was very useful. She, she knows me well. And it was fun with the therapist to, uh, to see the results. So I was in the rehab hospital for just about a month. And then they sent me home. Insurance ended. They said, you, you need to go home. And that's, uh, that's just an interesting thing. It's like, great, you got to this point. Now you're on your own. You know, you go home, you need to schedule the appointments with all the, you know, with all the doctors. So my wife, you know, my wife went from wife to caretaker, which was scheduling all the doctor appointments, having to drive me places. I went to rehab. I was getting strong during this time. Also, my, my wife actually started getting more serious about spinning for herself to relieve her stress of having to deal with me. And she actually became a spin instructor. And when about six months after the accident, I would say I was able to start spinning for rehab. Looking back on that from what, what I've been told, that was probably something that helped me heal faster. As they say that just the fact of being on a bike, even a stationary bike, you need to, you need to have your balance. You're using, doing physical activity. You're firing your brain in lots of different ways. You know, after meeting with the doctors, they said that that, yeah, for sure was beneficial for me. Um, this is like a year after, and I am back riding the bike. A lot of people were kind of surprised, like, why would you go out and ride a bike again outside? I was also thinking the same thing. I was a little nervous, but the, the new rules were to ride the bike outside. I could no longer ride alone. I had to ride with people, and so I started riding with a group of friends at 5.30 in the morning. It was a wonderful group of friends that basically surrounded me <laughs> in the beginning to make sure I was safe. I started riding early in the morning. The streets were safer and with a group of people. And from what I have learned in the last years is that the majority of cycling accidents, at least in the cycling community that I'm involved with, um, happen to people riding alone. It doesn't seem like cars are able to see a solo rider as much as a group. And when I got hit, it was seven in the morning. I had a flashing light on the front of my bike. I was known as a safe rider and it didn't matter. The person just right. didn't see me. You know, a little over a year outside of the accident, I'm back at work. Work is a lot harder, much more challenging to to do daily tasks. Um, I would schedule flights for business, and I would show up at the airport and have the wrong wrong airport scheduled. My wife and I had an anniversary, and we flew up to Northern California, the wine country, and we go to get the rental car, and I had scheduled it for the wrong uh, wrong airport. So little things like that. We're starting to, I was starting to notice, you know, we're, we're affecting me, but I didn't yeah. tell anyone obviously what was going on. I was like, oops, ju just a mistake. I would go out riding with, with my group and along the ride, I would get lost and have to follow people. I didn't know where we were, or I'd be driving to an appointment and all of a sudden I would, I would have this anxiety. I didn't know where I was going and have to pull over. There are a lot of little things like this that were happening and yeah. I didn't tell anyone there was being a father an executive I didn't want people to know that I was having challenges I had this image to uphold and I didn't want to ask for help because I could fix sure. it all myself I felt I could I could handle it um and it just those things just progressively got worse and I progressively was hiding them, which I think definitely creates more anxiety. I mean, there, there were times I would, you know, in the morning, the kids would come up for breakfast and I didn't know I would forget their names for a bit, which was really scary. So these issues are happening. I'm not saying anything to anyone. I could always make an excuse for something. And then the bigger challenge was, and it was probably related to hiding everything, was the emotional issues I started facing got more challenging. Anxiety got stronger. I did not like being around uh, in big groups or, or loud noises. I developed a temper, which I never had before. I would get upset. I started, you know, I punch holes in walls, and that's that's not the person yeah. that I used to be. 
and those emotional changes and the outbursts became much, much more challenging. My wife got the brunt of it because she was the one who, who saw me the most. It got to the point where really bad. And she said, you know, after probably one of my blowups, like, you're, you're not the man I married. What's going on? Right. We need to fix this. And that was horrible to hear and true. And it was something that I finally said, yeah, we, we need to fix this. So we're now about like a year and a half out past the accident. And we went back to the neurologist. He looked at the scans and said, you know, we talked about the symptoms I was having. He said, yeah, you had a traumatic brain injury. And that was kind of it. It was like really black and white. It's like, well, what do we do? I'll go, go see a psychiatrist who specializes in, in dealing with uh, emotional issues after a TBI and see you later. And it was really frustrating to hear that. And it also just reinforced that after leaving the hospital, we were kind of left on our own. We didn't know anything about TBIs. This is, you know, 2013. There wasn't as much information even in the media about it at the time. And a lot has changed just in, in the last eight years. So we go to psychiatrists. We, he prescribed some, some meds, and actually they were very helpful. Mood stabilizer, antidepressants. One of the other big symptoms was exhaustion. I would go for a, a bike ride, and I'd come back and just be stretching, and I would pass out for over an hour. It's just beyond exhaustion. And the same thing, I'd be at work. And I would all of a sudden just, you know, you feel that tired feeling and then it just a wave of exhaustion hits you. And I would have to go find somewhere to hide for like 20 or 30 minutes to sleep. And from a, a, a traumatic brain injury, one, one of the big symptoms is exhaustion because your brain needs to heal and your brain's saying, stop. And as your brain, when you're sleeping, your brain is, that, yeah, is actually able to heal itself more. It was really hard because this is now a year and a half out, and I was glad to know that I hadn't been diagnosed with a TBI because now I had something to work with. I didn't think I was just crazy. But the challenges and and trying to figure out how do you, quote unquote, fix your brain aren't easy. The med, I wasn't going to just take meds. I had to figure out what, what else was out there. Um, my wife got very serious about researching TBIs. And as she was researching TBI, she, from a friend of hers, had heard about Love Your Brain. She reached out to Adam and Kevin from Love Your Brain and talked about what was going on with us and this, you know, the symptoms I was having. And I don't know any of this is going on. She went ahead and did this on her own. Adam sent her a link or the video of the crash reel. And she told me she probably watched it five or six times before she even showed me the video. She wasn't sure how I, I would react to it. And then she said, hey, I got this movie. Do you want to watch it? And we, we sat down to watch the crash reel. It was, it was beyond impactful. Besides the movie Jaws, which ruined me <laughs> um, for years of getting in the water, no other movie really has had this impact on me. And it was, it was it was very relatable watching, you know, seeing Kevin in the hospital, even the way he looked in the beginning, you know, in the ICU bed, and then doing the same rehab exercises I was doing. And then the frustrations he was going through, I could relate to. And I felt, you know, wow, I'm not alone in this. Another big piece of it was his family. Like you talked about, it's just seeing having the support of family is, is key to at least, you know, it's key to a good recovery and watching the dynamics of him and his family and just reminded me of everything that my family, that we were all going through together. So, you know, I've also felt very fortunate to have, have them as my support group. So I felt this connection to, to Adam and Kevin. I then reached out to them. They were on a trip to LA actually meeting with a yoga a studio and we drove up and met them and just started talking to them in person. And the connection became even stronger. And they invited me to become more involved. And they gave me the resources to, to start practicing mindfulness, meditation, and yoga. I got more involved with that. And then actually, I went on a retreat. 
and the retreat was was incredibly powerful for me as well. It was I was I was put into a group, and that's how I met Brett with various individuals who all had different brain injuries. Some of them from cycling, some from falling, car crashes. We all had different degrees of brain injuries as well. But the stories that we shared were all very similar, you know, the, especially when it came to the emotional roller coaster, the longing to really want to be who you were before the accident. And that, that comes up a lot. And I think that's a big piece of the frustration that we all have is wanting to be who you were. I would go to some, some really, really dark, scary places early on in the first couple of years after the accident of wanting to be who I was. And it became very apparent when my day-to-day life struggles just became harder. Day-to-day life just became harder. And you, they call it ants and love your brain world, automatic negative thoughts. And you just aren't yourself. You want to be what you were. And this, these horrible thoughts just keep going through your head you know, a lot of us shared and talked about that we there were times where we wanted to end our life, um, and it's it's a really scary place yeah. to be. Sharing those stories with these other people, who you know, at this retreat, I don't want to say normalized it, the feelings I had, but it, it it did connect me with them, and also I saw the resilience in all these other people as well, and how they all made it and kept going, and. It just also helped, has kept me going as well. And I learned a lot from, uh, yeah, from Love Your Brain. And I owe them a lot to, to, to help me um, get to the place where I am today. I'm on less medications than I used to be. The Love Your Brain mindfulness of you know, meditation is incredibly helpful. And, and the more research I've done into brain injuries, they talk about how important meditation is. It's very common for in brain injuries, especially, you know, cyclists, it's uh, your frontal lobe that, uh, that usually gets, gets messed up. And your frontal lobe is your executive functions and that controls your emotions. So for, for many of us, we're not able to, we have to learn to control those emotions again. And what meditation has provided me with is the ability to, to take a pause when the emotions start to feel like they're getting out of hand, I'm more aware of them now. And I can take a pause before I react. And I have a choice to react and punch a wall or yell and scream at someone or make a better choice. And Love Your Brain's been, you know, very valuable with with help. Sounds like it. That was an amazing story. I'm I had some questions for you along the way that I didn't want to interrupt you to ask. So let me ask them now. You talked about being the tough guy who could deal with it yourself and you wouldn't reach out for help. And, and I'll bet that this is pretty common in men in particular. Well, that of course resonates with me. I'm sure I would have reacted in the same way. Uh, it would have been a little embarrassing, even though it obviously had nothing to do with any mistakes you made. Still, there was a shame in had this happened to you and, and how you weren't what you were and how you had lost some control of yourself and that even makes you angry. But when you did finally seek out help from your wife and in finding the Love Your Brain organization, they not only helped you in finding a community of people who you could identify with and some tools, skills that they could teach you to help you to learn to be more the kind of person you want to be living with these symptoms. But they also, it sounded like they gave you purpose. You found value in being able to help other people. And so it kind of came full circle back to the executive, the guy who takes charge of things, and you can handle it on your own. But when you finally resolved that you couldn't handle it on your own by reaching out for help, you didn't have to become a weak person. You still are a strong person. And you're just using that strength to help other people who are in the same sort of situation you were in. Does that sound right? Yeah, it does. Um, you touched on something that the shame early on of not being who I was and, you know, 
making mistakes, more, more mistakes than I used to. Just the shame builds up and hiding the shame just, just makes everything worse. And once I had the diagnosis and had you know been working with Love Your Brain, I felt more comfortable telling people and people learned more you know about the accident and the ensuing brain injury. Because when people would see me, they knew I had a lot of broken bones. But when they would look at me, it's like, oh, you're all healed. You're all better. They don't, they can't see what's going on in your brain. Called brain injuries. You know, it's, it's right. a hidden injury. And and that actually makes it harder in the beginning too. Is everyone's like, wow, miraculous. You look great. Everything's good. And inside my head, I'm like, if you only knew. But I'm thinking right now. Right. Things aren't good. Um. So you you do have a shame for that. And working through that was challenging. And like I said, you know, love your brain was has been an amazing tool. And I became through this, I greatly appreciated what Adam and Kevin were doing with love your brain. And I became more involved with the organization and have done fundraisers with them, bringing awareness to them. And I'm, I'm on the board of directors with them as well now, because I see the value in this organization and want to do what I can to help them continue to grow and bring awareness to, to brain injuries and to bring it to, to other communities. I am still involved in the cycling community in Southern California. Right. And I'm exposing Love Your Brain more and more to the various groups out here. Right, which I think is wonderful. I'm hoping that this podcast episode will help in the same sort of way. I saw your podcast that you did on the Bucket mm-hmm. Show with your wife, Carol. The thing that struck me was just how strong your relationship must have been with your family before all this happened so that they would have put up with you in your That's a great way to put it. angry behavior. Cause of course you weren't sharing what was really happening. You were just an angry person, but it probably was even another level of stress because surely you knew that you weren't treating people the way that they deserved. And, and there could even be consequences for that that would have been devastating and terrible. So the stress on the family is another part of this. Mm-hmm. My, like you said, my, my wife and I had a good relationship before the accident. And then the change from her becoming my wife to caregiver and then me becoming a patient instead of the husband, the roles are now switched. And that's very challenging to have to rely on someone. Um, yeah. And then I wasn't like a crazy angry guy all the time. want to make sure that that's out there, but I would be set up. There's certain things would just set me off. And my wife saw the worst of it did my best to hide it from the kids. Although they saw a few things like when I, you know, we went to dinner once and I valet Parker brings a car and it took too long. And for some reason that really upset me. I went off on the valet Parker and, you know, embarrassed them, embarrassed me. And then, you know, you do a lot of apologizing, you know, if we didn't have a strong relationship before the accident, I don't know if we would have, how things would have been. There are statistics that say that divorces are much higher after a brain injury. And I, I could see that, yeah. but I was, you know, very fortunate that my wife, you know, was able to, to hang out with me and work through this. Yeah. And then having the support once, you know, we did find love your brain and found a community, having the support of the community was, was incredibly helpful. Yeah. Well, I guess the bottom line message is if you're a strong person, then you need to move past that and get the help that you need. Mm -hmm. It's good for you. It's good for your family. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, David. You're welcome. Brett, it must have been particularly hard for you as a professional athlete to lose that prematurely. Can you tell us your story? Yeah, I think... um... When Adam was talking at the start about how Kevin had this most amazing season, everything was going perfectly well, and just uh, an everyday kind of training ride, or for Kevin was a training run, um, changed your life. And mine was I had this fantastic season in 2011, based out of Quebec, Canada, where everything I did in a race seemed to work out, and the results came flowing as a result of that. And then um, I was actually going to retire at the end of 2011 and refocus back into um, the normal working kind of uh, society. And had such a great year that I decided to go back. And yeah. I was in the second race of the season. 
and uh, unfortunately a crash happened as per normal in, in races and I was in, in the wrong spot at the wrong time and uh, decided to slide down the road on my um, head and my back at 38, kilo- uh, well, 38 miles an hour, which is 60 kilometers an hour for us Kiwis and uh, resulted in a TBI. Woke up in the ambulance on the way to hospital. I uh, kept saying, um, where am I? All I can remember is the ambulance driver saying that he's repeating himself. And unbeknown to me, the ambulance had picked me up from the side of the road. They're following the, the race. And I'd fought with the ambulance drivers to walk on the ambulance by myself. In typical American fashion, they want to strap you in. And, and I was fighting that. And I've got no recollection of that at all. Ended up in hospital that afternoon, evening. Got the old CT scans done and those types of things, and all came back clear. Got sent home from hospital that same night, and I remember hopping into our team van, and it was one o'clock in the morning, and I felt like I'd been about two hours since I'd been admitted to hospital, and it'd been about seven. And my story is a lot different to lots of people. In fact, that I wasn't in hospital for very long. I uh, got flown back from the race to my um, home, away from home in Quebec City and uh, arrived back into Quebec. Proceeded to focus on my broken right clavicle. They've been broken for the third time. And being a New Zealander, uh, the Americans will all know about the All Blacks. My education of head injuries or head concussions was you had three weeks stand down and you're good to go again. So my focus was coming right for a race in six weeks time, thinking oh, I might have two weeks off the bike maybe. I'll try to do some walking and some running and some exercises get the collarbone fixed and we're good to go. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. The concussion symptoms seemed to have actually get, get, got worse over time. And after, over those two weeks, uh, I started going to this downward spiral of not being able to sleep at night, um, being very irritable, not knowing what was going on. And I literally was going for a walk one day. Uh, my teammate, who was another New Zealander, had gone across really road about where I was. And him and my team owner, Louis Garno, went for a drive. And next minute, I'm hearing this person go, hey, old man, up in the car. And apparently, I was just shuffling down the road. And they picked me up and took me back to the hospital and got some testing done. Season was finished. And that's pretty much um, all I got dealt with was your season's finished and, you, and you're going home. I flew home to New Zealand to, I think, people expecting me to be normal. And I wasn't a normal brute anymore. And that took a lot of us probably by surprise. I think it was really hard on my my mum, who was at the forefront of my recovery at that point in time. There was just no there was just no support. There was no support for what I was going through. People just expected that I was just going to have this recovery. I was very fortunate to see a doctor who was an avid cyclist and he pointed me in the, in the direction of a neuropsychiatrist. Uh, who dealt with lots of sports people. He's an amazing guy that I still stay in contact with. He deals lots of the rugby people over here with the professional rugby players. And he gave me some cold, hard facts of um, what the secondary concussions will be or secondary head injuries would be and decided to end my career as a result of that because I didn't want to go through those, go through this again or make things worse. And then I just got left on my own. The New Zealand system was you're looking fine, you're kind of okay to do a little bit of part-time work, so therefore you're off our box and see you later. And for me, uh, I think it was a case of just trying to put one foot in front of another and get going again. Sadly, about 13 months later, I was teaching and got a secondary concussion, but the ball hit me in the back of the head. And that's when I got significantly worse again. And then nothing got done. So there was, no, there was no support for me at all. And it was just a, just a matter of surviving each day. Biggest frustration for me was not being able to exercise. As we were saying about TBIs, um, even has different experiences. For me, I look normal, I sound normal, but I couldn't exercise. And one of the biggest things for me, cycling was my stress reliever. Cycling was my way of escaping the stresses of society, getting out on a bike, um, hanging out with your mates who are all bike riders, and I lost those connections. Were you unable to exercise because you couldn't 
risk having another crash or was it something that the exercise itself was just not permissible in your condition? Um, good question. Balance is perfectly fine. Um, it wasn't anything in terms of worrying about having another accident. For me, um, exercise induces a lot of my symptoms in terms of neurofatigue, um, increases my heart rate rapidly, and it just kind of gives me a really yucky, na- nauseous feeling. And to this day, I still can't ride a bike at all. And it's been probably about eight years since that rugby ball accident. I was getting back slowly, being to being back on a bike. That kind of ice age finished me off, really. And that leads to lots of frustrations, you know. Sure. That was my identity. My identity was a professional athlete. My identity was being on a bike 30 hours a week. So going from 30 hours a week to doing no kind of riding at all is, and when it's been your life. Very hard. It's, it's quite frustrating, to be honest. Yeah. And I suppose I was floundering a little bit. I was teaching. I was working in the school environment, but I was getting very stressed out. And I was getting stressed out because I was being frustrated around people's lack of understanding and awareness because it's an invisible injury. And we can look normal and sound normal, but we're not normal on the inside. And we're battling away with things. Mainly my thing is this was around fatigue, but also feeling like I wasn't valued with what I was doing. Very stressed out. And one day I uh, decided that I was going to type into the Google bar retreats. I thought, right, I just need to escape the world for a week. I need to get away. And I typed in retreats and I was thinking of some nice island resort in the Pacific. Could be quite a good good yeah. start. And I couldn't find I couldn't find anything. And I was like, surely this must be something for head injury people. So I type in head injury retreat. First thing that came up, love your brain. Hopped onto the Love Your Brain website and I'm like, oh man, I've just won the lottery right mm-hmm. here. It was everything that I was wanting, everything that, that I was looking for. I saw this thing saying a retreat. I'm like, man, I've got to go on one of these. And I look at it and I'm like, oh, bullshit. They're all full. <laughs> They're all full. I'm like, man, what do I need to do? So there's a sign-up sheet. So I sign up for it. About four months later, it was a Sunday morning here in New Zealand. And I uh, just finished some, some cycle coaching. And I was online and this email came straight through. And it was a sign-up for a new retreat that they're doing in California. And to this day, I know I was the first person to sign up for it because it was literally about 10 o'clock at night in Boston time or Eastern Standard time. And on a Saturday night, and obviously it was Sunday morning here, and I was the first to sign up for it. Going to the Love Your Brain retreat for me was just a life changer because as David touched on, I hadn't spoken to anybody that was dealing with head injuries or on a permanent basis. I might have spoken to a few different people that had concussion symptoms for maybe a couple of weeks and then they're back to normal, which made it even more frustrating because I'm like, how can they have been having these symptoms for two weeks and they're back to normal again and I'm still suffering? Going to the retreat, I'm quite a competitive person as well and my claim to fame was a person traveling from the furthest distance away to get to the retreat. So I was pretty happy about winning something for once again. Well done. And for me, the Love Your Brain retreat hit two chords. The first chord for me was the sense of community. Finally being around people that just got it. Speaking to people that have gone through the same things that I'm dealing with in terms of the frustrations, in terms of how it impacts family, how it impacts your loved ones, and also a few other things around like things like loneliness because you are now on your own generally and the impacts that that has on, on your life. So that was a that sign of community. And then the other side of it was more the mental well-being side of things. So something that I'd never heard of before was Yoga Ninja. And a bit of a funny story with the American accent, I thought it was called Yoga Ninja for the first three days of the retreat. So that was quite entertaining because I'm thinking, oh, yeah, Ninja, yeah, yeah, we're a bit of a Ninja. Yep, that's all good. So Yoga Ninja for me has been a game changer for me. And I'll explain what Yoga Ninja is. And Yoga Ninja is... Not yogas in terms of holding poses, but it's more of a best way for me to describe it is it's lying down and it's a meditative kind of yoga that goes through some some set of breathing exercises. And I use this every day now. For me, an intention out of the retreat was calmness. And I think this applies to everybody in society. Society to these days is so busy that people don't take time out for themselves. Yoga Ninja for me is 
the time of the day that I give back to myself. For me, I'm a teacher. I'm busy all day long giving to other people. So it could be teachers, that could be students. I come home from work. I have some afternoon tea, go down to my bedroom, lie down, put on some yoga ninja um, from an amazing person called Ramsey. That's my 20 minutes of giving back to myself. It resets my day so that I can function for the rest of the afternoon and evening. So it's been, that's probably been, those, that's probably been the game changer for me. Yeah, I suppose, um, I suppose for me, uh, Love Your Brain has also provided me the tool sets to lead a calmer life. And I've touched on the fact that I can't ride anymore. That's been a frustrating process for me. I can go for walks and I, and I used to have to walk at night time because I got too angry. Walking along, we got, I live by a river and the river walk path was full of people running, exercising, cycling, and I used to get angrier and angrier and angrier as I was walking along. Going to the retreat, I'm working through that process and one of the biggest things that I do now is a mindfulness walk. Mindfulness for me used to be lying down and it didn't work for me. I did some mindfulness kind of seminars, tutorials, and mindfulness just did not work for me. I'm an active, relaxing person. So a mindfulness walk for me, we had to do one simple task on at the retreat. And Kyla Pierce has said to us, she just wants us to go for a walk outside. And I'm like, okay, this is a bit odd, but we'll go, I'll go for a walk. And all of a sudden, I was walking along. I was hearing the gravel of the path. I was seeing the birds up in, and the hawk. There's an American hawk up in, up in the sky. And I'm like, man, I actually feel grateful for being here, but I also feel a sense of calmness. So what I've done was I've taken that approach back to New Zealand and I do a mindfulness walk most days of the week in terms of going, this could be during the afternoon or nighttime when there's no sensory. So it's dark, there's no noise. All I can see is, is my feet in front of me and it's just a cool breeze and it's just some solitude and then most times that's actually helps me get to sleep at night which I struggle with so those have been some real life life learning lessons I'm an advocate for mindfulness walks and I've got a good friend of mine who's going through some stressful times at the moment as well and he's started to go for walks himself he doesn't have a TBI here's how wonderful I find them and he now he's now renamed it the Tivers walk he sends me a text I've gone for a Tivers walk today and I feel so much better for it Nice. I may do that myself at Tivers Walk. (laughs) That's great. Well, so you're all the way on the other side of the globe. Are you still able to benefit from the community that you found in Love Your Brain? Oh, I think that's been the best part about it. By going to the retreat, it connects you with people. And it's amazing. You all lead different busy lives, but about five weeks ago, I've had one call with David and I left the phone call buzzing. Just because you've got that connection with somebody, you can you can spin this big yarn to them and it's just that reconnection that you have. And then about a week later, I had a phone call with Adam and same thing. It's the connections that you make. It could be a five-minute talk. It could be a half-an-hour talk. But sometimes speaking to people that get it, speaking to people that are understanding really helps put you into a positive mindset again. And another cool thing that's happened, and it's happened out of a negative situation, which is COVID, is that um, Love Your Brain are perfect people for thinking outside the box. They haven't been able to have these physical connections of things like retreats. So they set up this mindset program. It's a six-week program that you do online. There's two forms of it. There's one that's got a group discussion, and there's one with a yoga first, and then there's a group discussion afterwards. And I did a bit of a trial of people that were on a retreat to start with to see how it worked. And from that, I'm fortunate enough to now be a facilitator of that mindset program. So it's been a great way for me to give back to this wonderful organization in terms of running a facilitating of this program. And I've done two six-week programs so far, and they've been from people from throughout America and Canada. We've had one Australian on there as well. For me, it's been... It's a constant learning cycle. So for me, it's, it's constantly learning from people, learning strategies of, of how to show resilience, how to turn up for people, and how can we just constantly improve, really. But one of the observations that I've made is that the people that sign up for it are females. And for me, 
that's fantastic. But also there's lots of males out there that are floundering at the moment. The strong men. Yeah, yeah, that don't want to open up and be vulnerable. And and Adam said that at the start, men don't want to be vulnerable and it's about opening up to that vulnerability because until you open up about that vulnerability, you're not going to to improve. You're going to keep battling along until things just spiral downwards. And I think um, Love Your Brain put these great strategies into place that stop those things from happening. So for me, my biggest kind of thing that I really want to focus on with and grow with Love Your Brain is one, um, supporting males, and two, around sports concussions and how we can, because generally, generally we're, all, we're all the same types of, types of personalities. We're all driven to want to get better. But as Adam has mentioned at the start, it's not about going back to our old selves because the recovery is not going to get us there, but it's showing the resilience to making sure that we can be the best people that we can possibly be. That's great. Thanks. Is there anything else you'd want to add? Advice for the men out there or anything else? I think for me, like, and you might get this, Joe, is that, do you know, like, sometimes you might be going through a really busy day and your highlight of your day is going for a ride with your mates because you're riding along, you're socializing, you're having a laugh. And sometimes you actually start to share a few stories about what's maybe going on in your life. It could be stress at work, or you might solve a problem that's going on at work by speaking to one of your friends. Yeah. A lot of us with TBIs, and, t- and also in terms of sporting um, TBIs in particular, is that we end up being on our, on our own in terms of, while my, all my mates were out training, I'm at home. Right. And I've lost those, those connections now. So for me, it's been reconnecting with people and I suppose the reconnecting with people has been through Love Your Brain in terms of people that can actually understand you. So my advice around with males in that area is, is reaching out to people that do understand because until you get to that point, you're not going to, to, to be on this, on this healing journey. Yeah, I hope that people take away too from the perspective that David and Brett just shared is that so often we get so caught up in looking at the outcome of one thing. And I think I really take away from Brett and David this ability to see that you can find meaning and purpose in every step if you're interested in exploring what that potentially looks like. And if that starts to become more of the focus and more priority at looking at that, then there's less chance for this, I think this level of suffering that we're accustomed to or this this significant letdown from what might you know feel like is just never going to happen. And I think if, if people can start to understand that healing can take form in terms of process rather than outcome, I think that can really help establish a sense of confidence and ability that continuously can evolve. And, I, and you hear these guys' story, you know, they're eight, 10 years out from their accidents, but they're still healing. And they might not, still not be that person that they so-called wanted to be, but there are elements and dimensions of them that have grown probably much wiser and stronger than ever would have without you know, the experience or their ability to look at their experience. I think that's a really important aspect of, of the process because it doesn't happen overnight and the outcome is generally not what we think or expect it to be. Uh, but when we have a mindset of, of real curiosity and openness, I think our, the, the possibility just expands tremendously. It makes perfectly good sense. Adam, let's tell our audience about the virtual ride for resilience, which is coming up here pretty quickly. Yeah. In May, we're putting on the virtual ride for resilience, which will allow anyone who rides any form of bike from cycling to mountain biking to stationary biking to join us in riding 30,000 miles and raising $30,000 that will go and support our programs that are free and accessible for those to buy traumatic brain injury. And each week in May, we'll come together as a group and we will have discussions led by different professional cyclists or people in the biking community who are passionate about creating more of a culture that is supportive for those who are impacted and believe in yeah in in what we're creating um, and helping people see this. My wife and I have already talked and we've decided we're going to do this. We will ask 
the people we know to sponsor us for like so much per mile. And then we go ride those as many miles as we can. And how does it all work? Yeah, that's exactly right. You can do that. I mean, you can get as creative as you want with it, but I think that's, yeah, that's a common way to go, which is set your goal in terms of how many miles you think you can, and then find people to support you. It could be a dollar a mile. It could be $5 a mile. Really the the invitation is, is really open in that okay. respect. But yeah, you can find it on loveyourbrain.com. All the information's there, how to sign up, you know, how in creative ways and thinking about fundraising or, or sharing your message. Um, and we, yeah, we hope, to, we hope you'll join us. And Joe, thanks for, thanks for supporting. Yes, yes. Well, and we'll also, I understand that there's a way of like doing a team and then you can maybe have multiple people all sort of on the same team doing it together. And I'll include some information about that uh, in the show notes for anybody who is interested in that. Guys, thanks very much. This was really great. I appreciate you taking some time late in the day or early in the day, depending on what side of the globe you're on. Just thanks again. Have a great one. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion about Love Your Brain with Adam Pierce, David Adler, and Brett Tivers. And I hope you will join us in supporting Love Your Brain and its virtual ride for resilience. Be sure to check out the show notes for more details and for the Love Your Brain website. And if you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.